the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. This is The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what I try to do every weekday at 4 o'clock is to take your phone calls and answer questions, questions about the Bible, questions about what we believe as Christians and why, personal questions, life struggles, anything and everything that's on your heart, I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the hands-free feature on your phone by using the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner that will appear at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Now I share stuff that goes on in my life with you while we're here. I'm 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 laughing here as we get in. I, I've told you before that every day uh, before this program goes on the air, we have a whole bunch of kids, anywhere from ten to to fifteen kids come into the office here in the studio and pray with us. And one of them gets to pray every day. Well, today with all the kids in here, one of the kids found um, a bottle of aftershave that somebody in the church just gave me. People, try this, Pastor on kind of thing. And and I've used the same aftershave forever and ever. But this smells pretty good. I haven't tried it yet personally. But it was sitting on my desk here. And one of the kids said, oh, what's that? And he undid the top and he smelled it. And I said, well, what did you think? He says, it smells amazing. And and I said, well, if you want to put some on, feel free to put some on. So he did. And then some other kids came in and, hey, what's that smell? It smells pretty good. And so they put it on. So when we were praying, these kids would start the prayer. And the, the same boy is the one who prayed today. He said, dear Jesus, thank you that I smell so amazing. That was the way he began his prayer. Now, he prayed for you and he prayed for me, too. But that was the way he began his prayer. And I've been laughing ever since. That's the kind of life that God gives you when you are a pastor, when you're a part of his body. I'll deal with that a little bit in the second question that I get, uh, unless phone calls come in sooner. Uh, but that's our life. Hey, real quickly, before we get to the questions, uh, we have uh, a Bible study tonight. I'm going to be teaching out of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 18 through 24 in our study tonight. It's a study of contrast, a mountain that we have not come to, and then wonderfully, the mountain we have come to, not the mount, mountain of law, Mount Sinai, but the mount I call the mountain of grace. Uh, we have come to Jesus. Uh, so that's going to be tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. 
Uh, I will be teaching out of Luke chapter 21, uh, actually the first part of the Olivet Discourse on Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. I'm looking forward to that. Um, This is the week when you go to church, be available to be used by God. Don't just go to church to be blessed. Purpose in your heart to be a blessing to someone else that Jesus loves. Okay, let's get to some questions. Uh, My first one is anonymous. It said, uh, what would you tell a friend who says his dreams led him to become a Catholic? He seems pretty sure God wants him to be in the Catholic Church. Anonymous, um, obviously this is somebody who is either um, a brand new Christian, very young, very immature, uh, or or he's somebody who is just in the process of becoming a Christian, which uh, that would be the, the case as well. Uh, so here's what I would tell him. I would tell him that don't let your dreams dictate what the Bible has been really clear about. Um, this is, I get accused of bashing Catholics whenever I say anything like this, but God wouldn't lead somebody to the Catholic Church. It's just that simple. The Catholic Church um, is um, what they teach, what they practice is contrary to the instruction that we've been given in our Bibles. And I would say God simply wouldn't contradict himself. So uh, I would just tell him, open your Bible, read the Bible. Let the Lord speak to your heart. And then you got to pray for him because if he's bound and determined this was a dream from the Lord, um, there's not much you can do about it. But because you care for him, he's a friend, uh, you've got to be very, very clear. Dreams are not the primary way that God communicates with us. Occasionally he does speak to us in dreams, but anything that he says to you in dream would never contradict anything that he said so clearly in Scripture. Now, the reason this is important is because we live in a time where people rely too much on their feelings. They rely on goosebump experiences. They rely on dreams. Instead of simply doing the work. So tell him that you're concerned for him. Tell him that you don't believe that that was a dream that was sent by God. And then tell him to read his Bible. And then pray for him because the Lord's going to chase him. So Anonymous, uh, I hope that's sufficient. Here is the question that I talked about from Richard. Um, Richard said, how did you know you were called to be a pastor? I think I'm called, but I really want to be sure. Um, Richard, I think sometimes, especially if you've been called to be a pastor, I think sometimes we want to be too sure. And by that I mean, you know, we want to be right. We want perfect, clear direction. We don't want there to be any confusion. And I think as a pastor, somebody who's called to teach the Word of God, think about this, if you're going to be teaching the Word of God, you're going to be teaching about faith. If you don't walk by faith, how can you teach others to do so? So I think sometimes what you've got to do is just figure that, well, it's not the devil who's calling me to be a pastor. Let me tell you how, how you can know you're called to be a pastor. Do you love his word? I mean, do you love it? If you are called to be a pastor, then God's going to put you in sort of a training program. And that training program is going to be uh, devouring his word. you got to know it. you got to dig deep and really, really know it and then practice it. You know, you and the Lord knows, Richard. How do you respond to the opportunity every day to learn more about Jesus and His Word? I'm not talking about just doing a five-minute devotion, but I mean, are you really, really and truly hungry for the Word? If you are, then that's a pretty good indication you're called to be a pastor and a Bible teacher. I don't separate those two. I think there can be teachers who are called who are not called to be pastors. But every pastor, if called by God, has to have the gift to teach. So I think that's a measuring stick for you right there, Richard. 
Um, regarding how I knew I was called to be a pastor, um, um, I, my, my calling was unique. I was uh, in a freeway traffic jam. I'm a new Christian. I'm six months in the Lord at this point. And I'm so excited about what God, is, what God is doing in my life. And I'm excited about the things that I'm I'm having revealed to me day after day. And I'll never forget, it's a 57 freeway in, in Orange County. I was coming home from, from work. And in the process of coming home from work, um, sitting there in traffic, um, I was listening to uh, a, a man who's now a friend of mine, Raul Reese, uh, on K-Wave Radio in Southern California. It was just his Bible study, and he was teaching out of First uh, Timothy, and um, that's first of the pastoral epistles. And it was as though, now again, nothing weird happened. I, I want this to be clear. Nothing weird happened. But it was as though Jesus was sitting in the passenger seat right next to me. And he was saying, this is for you. Pay attention. And just as he spoke that to my heart, Raul said that if you seek the role of an elder, which is a pastor in the New Testament, if you seek the role of a pastor, you desire a noble thing. It's a good thing. And we're to pursue good things. And I just knew it. And it was there was no doubt. I was so convinced. I called my sister. I uh, called Paula first. She told me to call my sister. I called my sister. Uh, Christy, my sister, had a dream that I was going to be a pastor. So uh, God used her to confirm that to me. Uh, but I just knew it. I just knew it. Uh, another test, Richard, and I think this is important. How do you feel about the people of God? If you're going to be a pastor, you've got to love the people he loves. You can't be ambivalent towards them. You you can't be uh, irritated or get frustrated by them. You've got to be a man that he can count on to love the people that he loves, no matter how difficult they get. Final thing, Richard, and then I'll take a phone call we've got waiting. Um, Where's your heart to serve? I think sometimes people think being a pastor means having the center of attention and other people serve us. It's not that at all. The pastor in a church, remember, we're sort of the, the under-shepherd to Jesus. And Jesus is the servant. He gave us in John chapter 13 the lesson on humility and service. We've got to be humble. Now, it doesn't mean every pastor is humble. It doesn't mean that every pastor is is eager to serve. But if you're going to be Jesus' pastor, Richard, if you're going to be his pastor, then... You've got to be humble, and you've got to be in it to serve others rather than to be served. If you go in it thinking, well, now people are going to listen to me, you're going into it the wrong way. So I knew there was no doubt. Um, nobody could ever convince me otherwise, and I'm not going to let anybody ever convince me otherwise now after I've been doing this for 24 and a half years. Good question, Richard. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jeff. I I wanted to call in on date day yesterday. Uh, I loved uh, uh, Paula's comments about the holidays, but I lost my voice for a couple days like you were close to doing, too. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd like to make a comment, actually, just on on your question there from Richard, too, because that, that's always uh, been a really interesting subject for me. And I'm wondering, um, I, I read... I read a book uh, about authentic calling, and, and I, there was a survey done. I don't know, a, a Barna survey, and I, I know you can go there again and say what that's about. But uh, apparently he interviewed about 1,500 pastors in the United States to try to get a handle on how many of them had, had really an authentic calling to be pastors. And what they surmised, whether it's, correct or not, was that only about 35% of the people that he interviewed really felt like they had a legitimate call from God to be a pastor, yet they had pastorates and they were working. And and I see that a lot in the Hispanic uh, country, uh, especially Mexico where you work, where a lot of a lot of people just say, hey, hey, it looks like a great job, you just work on Sundays. 
you just have to look good. And <laughs> yeah, we only work one day a week. And, and it's just, uh, it, I don't know, I'd like to know your thoughts about And then one other quick thing, my original question was, I'm wondering if you would recap just a little bit of Isaiah 60 and that wonderful uh, lesson on Wednesday, uh, Arise and Shine. Uh, Talk about the imagination that we need to have to imagine God's promises. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Okay, and I'll take your your answer offline. Thank you, you, Jeff. God bless you. Um. Jeff is is always poking at my heart in a good way. So, um, you know, Jeff, I, I, I do a lot of ministry to pastors, um, and it 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 breaks my heart that I watch so many pastors who are approaching what we do like like they would approach a job in a restaurant or in a in a, a, a garage or something. You know, it's just, well, here's what I do, and I know what to do. Um, and I think one of the first things that we've got to realize as, as men who are called to be pastors is that we've got to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. If we just go through the motions, if we just do what everybody else does, then, then we're, we're going to burn out. We're, we're, we're going to find that there is no power available. We're going to find that people are an irritant. Um, we're going to find ourselves misrepresenting the Lord uh, with our behavior, with our attitudes toward the people he loves. Uh, and that's why so many pastors burn out. That's why there are so many people who are leaving the pastorate to find other things to do. I got to tell you, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to get any sympathy from anybody, but being a pastor is difficult. And sometimes it is thankless. Now, as I say that, I want everybody to understand this. I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but it's also the greatest calling in the history of the world. But if we're doing it for people to, to, to have them say, thank you, Pastor Ron, you're the best Bible teacher ever. That that doesn't happen very often. But here's what I do. I do it for that smile of Jesus. And and the truth is that, and I don't know about the numbers that Barna reported, 65% don't believe they've had a legitimate call from God. Well, that would explain why so many are leaving. I can tell you one way for sure, Jeff, to know whether or not somebody's called to be a pastor, is if they stick it out. It's never occurred to me that I could quit doing what I do. It's never occurred to me. Now I can disqualify myself. Um, There are things that can happen in life that, that render me unable to do what I do. But of my own volition, I have no right to stop doing what Jesus has called me to do. And I'm going to do it, I hope and pray, until I'm there with him. And the truth is, every pastor who quits demonstrates that he doesn't have a real calling from God to do it in the first place. The call is so genuine, it's so deep, it's given with such conviction that you realize that the truth of Paul's statements to the Corinthians when he said, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. It never occurred to me that we had a plan B when Paul and I came to San Antonio. It never occurred to me that that if uh, I got my feelings hurt, that I could kind of go off and sulk. That would prove that I was only serving me in the first place. It never occurred to me that if people didn't like what I said, and, and I'm, I'm really direct when I teach, Jeff, you know that. So um, if I didn't like what, what, if they didn't like what I said, I, I couldn't just, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, and, the, and the people that do quit demonstrate that they weren't really called in the first place. So I hope that hits at the heart of what you're asking. Uh, the truth of the matter is there are, are more pastors who are leaving the pulpit. Um, I know in some mainline denominations, especially those that have sort of thrown away the Bible, um, some of the Lutheran churches, um, certainly the... the uh, Episcopal Church, um, Anglican Church, and some others. Um, I know they actually laugh 
at people who say they've really been called by God. In the Methodist Church, they pay very, very well. Um, if you're a Methodist pastor, you're at the top of the pay scale for pastors, typically. And, and uh, you know, it's just a good job. It's a respectable job. And so people pursue it like that. But believe me, Jeff, it takes a call from God. Believe me, it takes a call from God. If you try to do it without that call, you're going to fail miserably. Your life is going to be uh, poorer and you're going to have a, a negative impact on the lives of others. Um, if you've been called by God, however, there's nothing quite like Jesus sort of handing you a baton like in a relay race. You know, Jesus is the first runner in the relay race. He gets a big lead. He hands me the baton. And now, thankfully, he pushes me. If, if I'm called, he pushes me so that I can keep up. But, but he does all the hard work. I just have to keep running. And the man who isn't called is going to find himself in a near impossible situation and burn out and, and, and getting angry and turning your back on God. It's no uh, coincidence, Jeff, that a lot of people who were former pastors have become um, militant atheists or agnostics. Um, they embrace other religions. It's no uh, wonder that these men who have not been called by God are embracing godless lifestyles. Um, uh, some some denominations even ordaining uh, actively homosexual priests uh, and lesbians because they also ordain women. Um, one of the things about being an under-shepherd with Jesus, you got to realize that he's the boss. He's the one who calls the shots. Jeff, Isaiah 60, I, I won't spend a bunch of time on it just because it's it's um, the the teaching I did is available um, at calvaryessay.com for anybody who wants to hear it. But uh, Isaiah 60, I wasn't feeling well and my voice was giving me a hard time. And it's always the messages that you're the most excited about when stuff like that happens. Um, but but I started out by, by, by talking about our imagination because we're going to hear things um, in that Bible study the other night that we cannot imagine. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine a world with no violence? That's one of the promises that Jesus left us with in Isaiah chapter 60. Can you imagine a world with no mass shootings? A world with no drive-bys? A world with no one fighting and getting angry and saying horrible, horrible things? Can you imagine a world like that? And, and the, the honest truth is, no, we can't imagine that because we're surrounded by that kind of wickedness. Can you imagine a world where there's no more physical pain. Uh, if you're one who suffers from physical malady, you can't imagine that. You can long for it, but but you can't imagine. I think of the Apostle Paul pleading with Jesus three times to take that thorn in the flesh away from him. Well, the problem is, though we can't imagine it, those are realities. Those are exactly the promises that God has given us. Those promises are the reason that we can stay motivated and grateful in our service for the Lord because a better day is coming. I said in that Bible study, Jeff, if you uh, heard it all, I, I said that, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy, I've never liked the dark. Um, now, with my eye condition... I also don't like artificial light. So that seems like a no-win situation. And yet in Isaiah chapter 60, we were promised a time when there would be no artificial light, that all of the light would come directly from Jesus himself. And there would be no more darkness. And in time and space, it's hard for us to imagine those things. And Yet Isaiah chapter 60 was sort of the, the kickoff to God describing the millennial vision. And it's an amazing, amazing future that awaits each and every one of us. And we've got to keep that future ever before us. When we're afflicted, when we are persecuted, 
we need to look up higher and higher and higher. Instead of looking out and around at our circumstances, we got to look up. And that's why Jesus made us these wonderful promises. Um, I'm going to rule and reign. Jeff, you're going to rule and reign with Jesus one day. What that's going to look like, who knows? The Bible's not specific. But now in the next chapters, 61 through 66, in the prophecy of Isaiah, we're going to really kind of go deep into what things are going to be like in the millennium. And it still requires us to use our imagination because these are things that we can't even begin to imagine. So, Jeff, that's what I'll do on this radio show. I don't need to repeat my Bible study on the radio. But, hey, the phones have been quiet. We would love your live calls and questions. We've got 30 minutes left in the week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We will be back on the other side of the break. We will see you in two minutes. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week. 340-9585. Let's go to Helodes and talk with David on line one. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, Pastor Ron. Uh, Hi, David. Uh, I just thought uh, I just caught the last end of what Jeff was talking about, and I didn't understand it. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know if it made any sense when he mentioned that there's pastors in Mexico that are uh, that didn't get the calling. Is that did I read that correctly? Well, no. He, Jeff, you don't know Jeff. Jeff, yeah, Jeff is is active in ministry in um, yeah. in Mexico, and uh, he and his family. And and he was he was just speaking from personal experience. I knew that, and I knew when he said it that there might be some in the audience who took that different. What he was basically saying in his experience and in connection with the uh, Barna survey that he was talking about, that there are a lot of pastors who have not been called by God and openly acknowledge it. They're they're pursuing it as a job or as a career instead of as a calling. So he didn't mean uh, anything specific by Mexico. It's just that's where his ministry experience is. Uh, he is very, very active um, in um, uh, ministry, mission field in Mexico. Uh, his wife, uh, her first language is Spanish. Uh, Jeff speaks fluently and, and, and does a great deal of ministry uh, in Mexico. Uh, so with that information, David, do you have a follow-up on that? Yeah, yeah, I've got a follow-up on it. Uh, and uh, of, of uh, uh, Brother Ron, mm-hmm. um, I have one instructor, one teacher. You already know the scriptures. I'm not going to read them to you. They say, the Lord says, don't call anybody pastor. Don't call anybody father for you have one father. And that's Heavenly Father. You have one instructor. That's Jesus Christ. So if you, I'm just going to say, Brother Ron, and I don't want to disrespect anyone. Uh, this is the second time I try to get in. I tried to get in last week with Irene when she made the comment about uh, uh, Trump. And uh, so it's two things. Number one is that there's no way, Brother Ron, no way you can convince me that that young lady, that woman, is studying her Bible daily. You can't be doing it. You, because you told her, read her your Bible, I read, read your Bible. Unless you constantly read your Bible, have a Bible-trained mind, put everything in context, ask the Lord to give you that vision, you'll see it. Because if it's true, and you believe the Word of God, that we're going to get to the end, where brother will kill brother, then we're getting to at that end. And these people are falling apart, and you see it. Uh, white evangelicals, Brother Ron, have been, uh, I don't know what's happening to them. I just don't know what, and some of them are great pastors. Filthy lucre. How does this, a pastor, like, uh, this guy has 10 jets. I had his name on the tip of my tongue. Millions of dollars, and, and all of this. I don't know what's happening, and I disagree with what they do, but, I'll, uh, and, but I'm not going to force my opinion on people. I just can't believe how you can serve the Lord and have 10,000 jets and, I mean, uh, uh, I'm sorry, millions of dollars in five jets and, and things like that. So I would rather be a pastor in Mexico with 10 or 20 people there because I feel the Word of God there in South America and the Philippines where there's no obstructions, no TV, no nothing. And you feel the the presence of God there. 
And why under the banner of evangelicals, we have destroyed more people than anyone else, than any other religion that I know of. And it is hard, and I'm ashamed. I'm really ashamed to be called a Christian. Because when I go and do street preaching and I talk to people constantly, the Lord brings them to me. I give all the glory to Him. I don't accept anything. Let, let He punish me. But when I go and preach, and I was in the Army 20 years, two days, and I was in Korea, all over the world, they would tell me, and you heard it before, they would tell me, you know, I love this Jesus of yours. I love this guy, but I hate those Christians. And I know that they're hypocritical and everything, but I try to tell them, hey, that's why we're going to church. We're all sick. We're going there. But it's just evangelicals, when, when, when a pastor on the pulpit says something, he's responsible to God directly. And, and Paul said, it'd be better that you not be a pastor, because if it is, you're going to be at a, uh, held at a higher authority. And what I do is I question every single word that comes out of that man's mouth. And then when he says something, I, I always say, is that your opinion? Because I do that. This is not biblical. I speak like this. This is not biblical, but this is what I believe it could be happening in certain circumstances. Where let's, let's, David, let's stop there. Let me, let me respond to you, David, and, and we'll stop there. I've let you go on for a long, long time. And, and here's the thing that I really want you to consider, David. Um, what you've done, and, and as pastors, we're all flesh. Uh, you know, if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is what it means when you have one teacher. It's the Holy Spirit who is the teacher of us all. Uh, but still, God gives pastors and teachers to the church. And what you've done with your comments, David, is you've judged an entire group of people. You've judged harshly an entire group. But you've judged me. I'm a pastor, and you've judged me. Um, as you use the term evangelicals. I think we have ruined more people and we have caused more pain when it's simply not true. The, the, the reality is that anybody that we talk to that says, well, you know, I love Christians, but I don't love the church. That's like saying to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I love you, but your wife is ugly. And, and if you're a real Christian, David, you can't hate the church. The church is where God works. The church is where Jesus, according to Revelation, walks in the middle. He's here. This is his body. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't bad people in the church. It also doesn't mean that there aren't bad pastors. And you're right. You made, you made uh, Jeff's point a moment ago when he said there's a lot of people that have not been called. Uh, a guy that has a bunch of jets and millions of dollars has not been called by God. He's doing it for himself. But still, that's always been the case. We can go all the way back to Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted the same credit that Barnabas got when they didn't want to give the same or make the same sacrifice. And so our flesh has always been in the way, David. Always our flesh has been in the way. But for you to accuse others of being hypocrites, when you are judging an entire religion of people, I don't like the word religion, but you know what I'm getting at. Um, when you're the one who says that the church is ruining lives, um, it doesn't matter how many people you've got in your church. It doesn't matter whether it's in Mexico. We're planning our third church in Mexico very, very soon. Uh, the, the people that we've sent to Mexico are doing a great job. Their churches are not huge churches. And God is blessing them still. Uh, nobody associated with me or Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is making a bunch of money. And yet the Bible says, if you're honest and read it faithfully the bible says that we should pay our pastors so uh god bless you if you're going to go on the street and you're going to tell people about jesus and work for nothing that's great god bless you that's what you've been called to do but don't judge others who are being paid don't judge others david you have put yourself in the position of god and that is a far greater leap than somebody who is taking a paycheck serving the Lord and the church they've been called to. I've been here for 24 and a half years. I've been called to, to be here. I've been called to stay here. I'm not going anywhere. And yeah, we take a little tiny bit of money out of this church, and I mean a very little tiny bit of money. Um, but believe me, we're not causing anybody any problem. We're trying to tell people the truth. We have one teacher, the Holy Spirit, but God still gives teachers You've got to be more familiar with your Bible, David, if you're going to go out and represent Jesus. 
hope that helps. Helps. Uh, let's go to Tom calling in San Antonio on line two. Tom, thanks for holding for that. You're on the air. Not a problem. Thank you, Ron. I am. I'm a minister myself for the last uh, 20 years or so, and I have a big question. I, I kind of wonder. I came out of Catholicism uh, at age 33. Uh, I'm so excited about uh, people bringing the Lord to me, the Word of God, and all of that. And so I had no baggage, if you will, because I was someone who went to church maybe once a year type of thing. But here's my question. After the first sermon ever preached, and after Jesus came back and uh, was resurrected and, and met them in the upper room and told them in Matthew 28:18 what they needed to do, Peter and the rest of the apostles, you know this, in Acts chapter 2, they preached that first gospel sermon. And here's my question. When I talk to many different ministers... There's a different opinion on how to be saved, which is kind of shocking because they obviously were pricked in their heart because Peter mm-hmm. preached how he did. You, you crucified the Savior. You didn't believe in him. Now you've killed the one that was meant for us. <laughs> and they were pricked in their heart. They believe. They believe. Now, a lot of people say you just need to repent and believe and you'll be saved. Well, they asked Peter what, and the rest of them, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And I believe there's a big big confusion and a big chaos in that somehow we have decided that baptism is a work of man, it's a this, it's a that. Peter said what they needed to do, and then it confirmed at least 15 more times on how to be saved. And so what is your take on why ministers, preachers, pastors don't say that when someone believes in Jesus? I could do that, Tom. Thank you for your many, many years of faithful ministry. Uh, I'll do the best I can to answer your question. I don't think my answer is going to be satisfactory to you. Uh, First and foremost, there's not 15 or 20 uh, more examples of repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Uh, Peter says that we have to understand that his ministry was to Jews, and 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 the baptism there is a baptism um, that that is Jewish in nature. It, it's 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 sort of a following through of the baptism of John, a baptism under repentance. So for a Jewish audience, that was normal. It's also important to understand that a Gentile, a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch, um, saw. He heard the word from Philip. The Philip, uh, Philip the evangelist was taken down on the, on the road to Gaza um, and, and said, uh, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody explains it to me? And then the Ethiopian eunuch, after having received Christ, after having become a believer, he saw some water and he goes, well, what keeps me from being baptized? And the idea there is baptism isn't a work. But baptism is a response to salvation. I think if we're honest, Tom, we also have to recognize the salvation passages of Scripture. Believe, Jesus said. Jesus didn't say believe and be baptized. He said we're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But he said to believe. Uh, The Apostle Paul, when asked what we have to do to be saved, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. So uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace, God's unmerited favor through faith. The faith, not a gift, not of our uh, of ourselves, but it's a gift from God. Um, and, and, and you are saved. It doesn't say um, believe and be baptized. Now, there's nothing diminishing at all regarding the importance of or the significance of baptism, when a pastor like me says, what do you have to do to be saved? Well, just like the thief on the cross, just like others that we encounter, they believed. They responded to the word of God. The apostle Paul was saving people in prison. Those people didn't have an opportunity to be baptized. So baptism is not a work. Baptismal regeneration is a work salvation. Yeah, you have to believe and you have to be saved. You're adding to the gospel. But what we we need to understand is that we get baptized not to get saved or to be saved, but we get baptized because we are saved. 
And Tom, I'll get people from the Church of Christ all the time, and I'll get some others who are, are, are strong baptism proponents. And they look at the rest of us like, well, you're belittling baptism if you don't believe it's necessary for salvation. Nothing could be farther from the truth. A free will offering, a free will response to the words of Jesus is an obedient response prompted by the Holy Spirit, and every believer should be baptized. But it is not true that every believer has to be baptized or they're not saved. So uh, your view is unbalanced um, at the same time. Um, God bless you. You're a brother in the Lord. Um, but, But to focus on baptism as a requirement to be saved misses the whole point of grace. And I don't think you will meet anybody in the world, Tom, who is more pro-baptism than I am. And I couldn't wait once I was saved to get baptized. And we have baptisms at our church, and we want people to be baptized. And, and, and let me take one step further. A lot of the people that come from your side of this argument, doctrinally, are people who um, will, will put somebody in a baptismal pool or dunk them in a river, or dunk them in a pool, or something, and and uh, give a false assurance of faith to somebody because you are baptized, you are saved, when in fact their heart's never been surrendered to the Lord. So it's very, very important that we get this right. Baptismal salvation is a works salvation. It's all of Jesus, it's none of us. So, Tom, I appreciate your many, many years of ministry. I think you're wrong on this issue. I think the Bible is really clear. And those who adopt your perspective on baptism, you know, they lean on a couple of verses in uh, in the book of Acts, um, um, and they have no their, their theology doesn't go any deeper than that. The epistles matter; they're every bit as important in terms of establishing doctrine as what's written in the Gospels or what's written in the early part of Acts. So to say that somebody who says that salvation or baptism isn't necessary for salvation is sort of belittling or minimizing baptism is an unfair charge. It's simply not true. What we want people to do is respond in obedience. And the only way we can respond in obedience is to have the Holy Spirit. The only way we can have the Holy Spirit is to believe in Jesus. But we respond in obedience And the baptism in the early church, just like baptism today, is a public response to the work God's already done. Sort of like, and I tell people here at our church, Tom, all the time, that we're inviting people to our funeral. We're watching the old us die and the new us be born again in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Again, that doesn't place you outside of orthodoxy. Um, At the same time, um, to give people the idea that all they have to do is say, yes, Jesus, and get wet, is to miss the point. Because it's not a baptism outwardly. Not the washing of the water physically. But the renewing of our heart inside. Tom, again, thank you for your ministry. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, I have a caller who asked if I could speak about Ephesians, and I really don't know uh, for sure what that means. Um, So uh, let me go to another question, and if that caller can call back and give us a little bit more information, then we will do that. You had a question for me on this side? I thought I saw it. Okay. Uh, let's go to a question that was sent in by Jeremy. Jeremy says, is street preaching biblical, and is it effective? Uh, Jeremy, it's certainly biblical. Um, um, John the Baptist was not a street preacher. He was a, a river, Jordan River preacher, but the same kind of thing. Uh, Peter was a street preacher. Philip was a street preacher. Yeah, so preaching the gospel wherever Uh, wherever you are, whenever the opportunity presents itself, is of course biblical. Now, whether it's effective or not depends on a couple of things. One, it depends on the message. You know, I've heard a lot of street preachers, they'll stand on a 
bench and yell, turn or burn, um, repent of your sin. That's, that's not street preaching. That's just madness. Um, when you see people yelling, um, they're misrepresenting Jesus. I'll never forget Jeremy. Tim, we have a street preaching team, by the way, here at Calvary Chapel, and they're out on Saturdays. And and uh, when uh, I was out one time with a guy who said, this is my calling, I was just going to see if it really was his calling. And he was on a bench and he was screaming, and, and I was watching the reaction of the crowd. And I remember there was a bunch of kids, maybe eight or ten of them, uh, and they had a couple of adults sort of chaperoning them. And they were kind of interested. Well, what's the commotion over here? And what's going on? And they wanted to see it. And I remember right in front of me, it happened. Um, so they said, well, well I want to go over there and listen. And one of the adult chaperones said to him, oh, no, no, don't, don't go over there. Those are Jehovah's Witnesses. Why would they say that? Because they looked angry. They sounded angry. And Jeremy, that's misrepresenting the Lord. Uh, our street witnessing team here, uh, who very devoted uh, men and women um, who, who are so faithful and always talking and praying. Um, our street preaching is conversational. We want to talk to people. We don't want to talk at people. We want people to realize that God really is nice, that he really does love them. Now, believe me, we tell them if they need to repent of their sin. We tell them how to get saved. But But I think sometimes we forget to present Jesus and instead, we present our perspective on who Jesus is. So it's effective if you're filled with the Spirit. It's effective uh, if you're rightly representing the, G- the Lord. It's effective if you know um, and live the gospel. But remember, the power of the Holy Spirit is essential for any effectiveness at any level of ministry, Jeremy. So, yeah, it is biblical. And it can be effective. Uh, I'm I'm afraid that a lot of the ways we see street preaching done uh, is not effective because it's absent the one thing that those of us serving the Lord ought to really, really um, possess in the greatest measure, and that's love. If you're just yelling at people, if you're not living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, just stay home instead of preaching. 340-9585. Let me see if I've got a question here. Uh, Angel wants to know, Pastor Ron, how could Jesus not know when he's coming back if he is God? Well, Angel, obviously Jesus knows when he's coming back now. But one of the things that we forget sometimes is that Jesus was limited. Remember, he said he only says what he hears his father say. He only does what he sees his father say. In other words, what Jesus was communicating, that no one knows the day or hour, not even the Son of Man, he's saying that in his incarnation as a human, his first uh, descent into this earth, um, he didn't know when he was coming back because that wasn't important to his message. So he knows now, he didn't know then, um, but certainly he knows now. And remember, he veiled his deity. He veiled his deity when he came to earth the first time. He didn't use the God card. He just walked in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to our last call of the week. Jack from Lockhart. Jack, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. My question is, is you know, I've called the forum a little kind of yep. on the fence and coming to your side, so to speak. Um, I want to know a little bit about praying. I understand how uh, the areas in which we pray. I'm just not sure who to address. You know, I'm in Jesus, God, says Holy Spirit. I just want to make sure I'm addressing it right. Okay. Thank you, Jack. I can do that, and uh, I hope I'm going to take a lot of pressure off you. If you're talking to God through Jesus Christ as a believer, you, you can't do it wrong. I think that's the most important thing for me to say to you. You can't do it wrong. Now, there's no competition between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you decide one day I'm going to pray to God the Father, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit's not going to be jealous. If you decide you're going to talk to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's not saying, hey, hey, what about me? Or the Father's not saying, wait a minute, I'm the one who sent him. There's no, they're one. They're in perfect unity. 
So here's, I think, what will help you the most, Jack. Jesus came to us to reveal who the Father was. The Father lives in unapproachable light. I think sometimes we're trying to talk to a God out there who is unapproachable. Um, We can't relate to God the Father, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus said, I will reveal the Father to you. So here's what I've always done in my prayer. I talk to Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave me access to the Father. Jesus is the one who allows me to be able to pray in the first place. And uh, Jesus is the one who has become a human being so that I could understand him and know that he understands me. The Holy Spirit, I say hello to, I give thanks to him, but I don't really talk to him a lot because uh, he's the one who reveals Jesus. So if Jesus was sent to reveal who the Father was, the nature of the character of the Father, and then the Holy Spirit always talks about Jesus, his testimonies of Jesus, then we talk to Jesus. And Jack, don't worry about hurting anybody's feelings. As long as you're a born-again Christian, you have access, just talk to him conversationally. Hope that helps. Thanks for calling, Jack. Been praying for you, by the way. Hey, this is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We finished this week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll I'll be back on Monday at AM 630, The Word. See you at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.